0: welcome to the fedora podcast this is season two episode number seven this is the podcast to teach you about how the fedora community works we bring you news interviews and more i'm grayson and today i'm going to be speaking with alan day about gnome 40 this is the fedora podcast a proud member of the destination linux network With me today, I have Alan Day from the Gnome Project and from around Fedora. Hi, Alan.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Alan, how did you get involved in Fedora and the overall FOSS community? And what do you do around the FOSS community now?
1: Well, I, I got involved a long time ago now. Um, I principally got involved in the Gnome projects, and I was working on that as a volunteer. And after a few years, I was lucky to get hired by Red Hat to work on the desktop team. And after that, got more involved in the Fedora side. I've been a Fedora user for a lot longer than that. And nowadays, I'm active upstream in the GNOME project as a designer. I'm a designer internally at the in Red Hat on the desktop team. And I'm also a member of the uh, Fedora uh, Workstation Working Group. I'm, I'm active in the Fedora community, um, making sure that the, the workstation is is a is a good user experience.
0: Okay, we're here to talk about GNOME 40 and Fedora Workstation. Fedora Workstation uses Gnome as its desktop environment. Why do you think that Gnome is a good choice for Fedora?
1: Gosh, well, there's there's a lot I could say here. Um, I mean, I think Gnome offers a very kind of robust, uh, very complete kind of solution uh, that spans everything from Hardware enablement and integration, through to internationalisation and accessibility and usability, and um, it's quite got quite mature support in all of those diverse areas. And you know that takes a lot of work to do all of that. So there's historically been a lot of um, investment in the known desktop to get it up to that level, um, and it's got a. Aside from that, the Gnome project has a a strong upstream community, we've got different companies investing in the project, and Red Hat has a long history of working in the Gnome project. You know, (laughs) Red Hat has been working on Gnome for almost as long as Red Hat has existed. Um, And, you know, aside from that, I think Gnome and Fedora, we have a really good, strong working relationship. You know, the... The release cycles are strongly linked. The, there's a lot of crossover between the developer communities, and for a lot of people, upstream Fedora is the the development platform of choice. So, I think um, there's a lot of kind of good synergy there between the two projects.
0: I like it. That's a good answer. What are the biggest differences between Gnome 40, which is what we're using on Workstation now in Fedora 34, and the previous stable version of Gnome, which was 3.38. Could you explain those differences?
1: I can try. So, Gnome 40, you know, it had quite a lot of changes in it. There's um, a number of the apps Got some really good updates, and um, we had the, the GTK four uh, release in there as well. But I think the thing that most people focused on and were interested in in that release were the changes that we made to GNOME Shell, like the user interface changes. And you know, I suppose what was significant about forty was that. For the first time, really, since GNOME three was released in two thousand eleven, we we made some reasonably noticeable changes to the the way the the shell user experience worked, and those changes they were mostly focused on the the activities overview, which is this kind of all-in-one view we have, where you kind of zoom out from your desktop and you can see your windows and your apps and your workspaces. And we changed things around a bit there. We um, moved the the dash, which is like the the dock-like bar that contains your apps, that moved down to the bottom. And the workspaces, instead of being a little thumbnail strip on the right they became like a big film strip that ran horizontally across the center of the screen almost looked like a film strip or a set of cards. And along with that there were kind of a bunt, quite a few smaller changes just to kind of bring the experience together. we updated the visuals, there are new touchpad gestures uh, updated. Onboarding experience. Um, We made some changes to how the the dash was organised and so on. Um, But the main thing was that activities overview. So instead of having your little strip along one side, you have like a a, of workspaces. You had a big view along the middle.
0: There were, like you said, a number of workflow redesigns in this. Where did you get the ideas from these redesigns in the Gnome project?
1: Well, some of these changes were uh, quite a long time coming. Actually, um, on the design side, uh, we first started exploring this area back in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, we had a we had an event in London. Uh, Whether well, a bunch of designers and shell developers and um, started talking about various various changes that we wanted to make to the shell, but way back then, and you know, part of that desire came out of the fact, like I said, that now the overview hadn't seen much in the way of evolution since two thousand eleven. So, you know, it's a pretty long time ago now. A lot, a lot has changed in that time. Um, and aside from that general desire to kind of give it a refresh, bring it up to date, you know, we were also aware of some of the limitations of the design, things that we wanted to improve, um, particularly things around how the apps are launched and the arrangement of that that app grid. And also just the overall organisation of the the overview. Um, We felt like it maybe didn't always kind of cohere, it wasn't quite clear what some of those elements were and we wanted to to bring the experience together in in a way that it was easy for people to engage with and understand and that's really where a lot of the, the changes came from. Um, so we were kind of thinking about some of those issues that we'd seen in the overview for quite some time, and we did, a, you know, we did an a, a initial rounds of design and came up with ideas way back in 2017, but we, we never quite managed to come up with something that we liked. And um, it was only it was only later um, we started coming back to this, and uh, Tobias uh, Bernard, who's one of the main design team members, came up with some new designs, and there was some interest from some of our developers in pursuing them, and that's when we kind of picked this up again, and that was you know um, in twenty nineteen, a couple of years ago now. And at that point we had quite a lot of these ideas, and a lot of them were based around this idea of having a a spatial model for the overview. And spatial models, you know, it's it's that's it's a fairly established way of thinking about UX design work as a particular approach. And you know it's in some respects it's fairly obvious, you know, it's this idea that the UI is structured around space. Each element exists in its own space in relation to one another. And so we're kind of going with, with, with that as a solution to this general problem of trying to bring the experience together, make all of the elements have a clear relationship with one another. So that's where a lot of the ideas came from. But over the course of the the process it evolved a fair bit and we did quite a lot of user research which involved interviews and a, t- a study where we did quite a lot of testing. And that gave us an opportunity to, to test the ideas and you know, we found some aspects of the initial designs didn't work so well, so you know, we made some changes. Um but we also got a better sense of you know how you know I think at least the design was addressing some of the the challenges that our existing users had and uh when we were able to do some testing on prototypes we i think we got a pretty strong read that the the new designs we're working on was gonna give them a better experience compared with the old version that we had.
0: That's really cool that you would go out and take different studies, try and figure out how the UX can flow best, and all that type of thing. One of the changes you mentioned was the switch to GTK4. Could you quickly just touch on that?
1: I can try. I'm... um... I'm a I'm a designer. I'm not a developer. I don't have huge amounts of insight into the the technical side of things. But um, yeah, I can I can talk about GTK for a bit. Um, so you know, obviously, uh, for, for those who don't know, uh, GTK is the the UI toolkit that we use in GNOME. It's been with us for a long time. It's the basis of of all our applications and. Um, GTK four came out a little bit before 940. forty. It was a, a big new version. It was about four years in the making, I think. And it was you know it is it's a big deal. Um, so the new version. I mean, there's a lot a lot to talk about there, but some of the some of the highlights for me. Now, one of the things is that. GTK4 does um, rendering on the GPU now as opposed to the CPU which is what used to happen in GTK3. And so that means that you get faster rendering for a lot of things. Uh, You know, text scrolling gets really really fast and smooth. Windows resizing gets really really fast and smooth. Animations and and a thing of that nature. gets really really fast and smooth. Um, so that's really exciting and it'll just give you a lot snappier experience, particularly if you're using a, you know, a high definition display or something of that nature. Um, another really big thing in GTK4, uh, we've got new lists and grid views which are optimized to be very efficient with very large numbers of items. Something that we, we had some partial support for in the past, but nothing like what we have now. So um, one of the one of the cool things about those is that they only draw what's visible. So you have a data model for everything that's in your list or everything that's in your grid. But the the UI that's drawn is only for the bit that's actually seen on screen. So um, so if you've got an app that has lots of images that you want to show in a grid, like you know, a music player or a video player or something like that, and you want it to be fast and responsive and you want to be able to scroll that view and it be really snappy, uh, th- that's something that you can do in GTK 4, um, and it was pretty difficult to do that in GTK 3. Um, and So that's pretty awesome. Um, GTK4, it comes with just a lot of bells and whistles, like a lot of nice, convenient things for app developers. There's new widgets and a lot of the built-in widgets that were there already have got a lot better. And then the thing that I've been involved in recently, which isn't directly part of GTK4, but certainly is related, we have this new library called Libidwaiter. Uh, that's intended as a companion library to GTK 4. Um, and what libidwait is doing is it's implementing a lot of the supplemental things that you might need as a app developer. So it has a whole bunch of extra widgets and abilities in it that aren't in uh, GTK itself. Uh, so there's like a really nice new Tab widgets, there's um, a widget for displaying status pages, there's a lot of um, bells and whistles to make it easy to make apps that are adaptive so they'll scale to different sizes and things will flow smoothly. And as we go forward with Libidwaiter, uh, I think that's going to be a lot. Uh, become a pretty important part of our developer experience. It's going to allow us to move a lot faster, and we're going to be doing all of that with all the kind of power that's there with uh, GTK 4 and of underneath. So it's it's a pretty, pretty exciting place to be with um, GTK development at the moment. Um, not many apps are using this stuff right now. I mean, it's still pretty new. Most of the apps are still using GTK 3. But, you know, I would hope that that's going to change over the next six months and we're going to see more apps starting to, to port to GTK 4 and, you you know, end users will get to, to try out some of this stuff and see what it's capable of.
0: Awesome. I just want to touch on something. A minute ago, I had said... um. That there were differences between GNOME forty and the previous stable version, which was three point three eight. What <laughs> GNOME is changing its version scheme, as you can tell by that difference. Could you explain? How, um. Could you explain what the difference is now? What we're going to be doing moving forward, and why it was changed?
1: Yeah, I can. I mean, it's it's kind of a funny story, really, because. You know, when we introduced the the shell changes, one of the things that we were really keen to stress was, you know, this wasn't GTK four or GNOME four. Sorry, like um, you know, when we moved from GNOME two to GNOME three, it was quite a big disruptive change. Um, you know, we we swapped out large portions of the stack. You know, we we the shell and. Um, Everything it relied on was completely new and it was taking over from a lot of other components and there was a huge amount of work and, you know, the the scale of the UI change was, you know, it was was challenging for some people. So we're very keen to avoid this idea that um, we're doing another big point uh, version increase of that sort. So this wasn't going to be known for and then, at the same time as introducing these changes, we then released GTK four, and we changed the version scheme, so that everything looked different. So we did a really bad job of um, downplaying those UI changes, but it it really was just a coincidence. Really, it was it was just there's there's no plan, no no kind of efforts to try and make those changes come along at the same time and indeed we would probably actually have preferred them not to have come along at the same time but you know to answer your question the the version change itself it basically just came came along because the old version scheme was getting unwieldy it was you know it's quite an old fashioned version scheme where we'd have this odd even split so the stable releases would have an even number like 3.22, 3.24, 3.26, and then the development releases would be you know, 3.21, 3.23. And so on. That wasn't that easy for a lot of people to understand. And you know, we've had so many um releases in the GNOME 3 cycle that it gets pretty Confusing, incrementing up by two each time, you're constantly forgetting where you are. And so, you know, we did what a lot of other projects do nowadays, which is we just switched to a simple version scheme where each stable release has a number, and each time you release a stable release, you increase that number by one. So it's exactly the same as Fedora, so the same way that Fedora goes from 32 to 33 to 34, GNOME from now on is going to go from 40 to 41 to 42. And the only reason that we started at 40 was well because it kind of made sense. The next release was going to be 3.40, and we counted up and the next release was going to be about the 40th release of GNOME. GNOME forty is GNOME forty. Mm-hmm. Uh it is the fortieth gnome stable release ish. Um so that's kind of how we ended up with it. But the the version number and the shell changes that's purely a coincidence.
0: That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kinda. Of. So um did you have to make any changes to the Fedora base to make it work with GNOME 40? Or were they just kind of swappable? Like, for instance, could you take a version of Fedora that was running GNOME 3.38 and just update GNOME and leave everything else the same?
1: I mean, as, as I said before, the, the 40 change wasn't like a deep technical change. It was a, essentially all the Pretty much all the same components that we had previously. The the UI changes were made within the scope of Dome Shell using the, the same technology that uh, 3.38 had used. So in that regard, no, the, the the there weren't any major compatibility issues between the the Modules that come from the GNOME projects and um, those that come from elsewhere. Um, I mean, you can certainly upgrade from uh, Fedora 33 to 34 um, without any problems. Um, Could you build straight on top of uh, the Fedora 33 packages? You know, not exactly, just because, you know, Things do change to small degrees, and version numbers change, and dependencies change, but um, the differences aren't massive. It wasn't um, a seismic change in terms of compatibility.
0: Why did Fedora switch to GNOME 40 in Fedora 34, while other distros, like Ubuntu, chose to hold back? Is that just because Fedora is kind of rolling and tends to stick with the newer packages, while Ubuntu isn't, or are there any other reasons?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the primary reasons. I mean, you know, I think philosophically, Fedora tries to keep as close to upstream as it can. And um, one of the great things about that is that it makes Fedora a really good development platform for upstream projects, which is one of the reasons why it gets used a lot uh, in GNOME and elsewhere, so you know I think it was pretty standard for, uh, for Fedora to to stick with the latest GNOME release, and you know Fedora and GNOME they have uh, this fairly synchronized release schedules, so that both projects have six monthly releases, so and those are timed to coincide with one another, so. If Fedora hand ships GNOME 40, then it would have probably just meant skipping a release, which, you know, I mean there's no reason you can't do that, but it, it does make developers' lives more more difficult. So it was fairly standard for us to do it that way. Um, I mean, you know, I, I can't speak for, for Ubuntu, um, I think one one difference between Fedora and Ubuntu is that Fedora doesn't have as many downstream changes of their own, so they're not relying on extensions that have their own theme um so that means there's relatively little work to do to accommodate upstream changes uh so that that makes it easier um, yeah. I think those are the main reasons. I mean, during the during the development of GNOME Forty, we did try and get early testing in from Fedora users before the new shell version landed in the Fedora repositories. We had a, a copper repository for development because um, you know, I mean, it's totally understandable for distros to want to hold back a little bit if when there are bigger changes, to see how things pan out. And we tried to circumvent that in Fedora by having those testing repos where people could try out the latest uh, changes uh, before uh, the final release. We tried to make it easy for people to do that, and we did make some changes on that basis. So Um, You know, I think that's one of the other things that allowed us to keep uh, Fedora close to upstream was by uh, making those changes available um, easily downstream, and I think that's one of the successes of the, the process that we had around GNOME 40 and Fedora.
0: Another one of the headline features that people have been talking about in GNOME 40 were the changes around extensions. Extensions have long been a, um, an interesting topic in GNOME because of them being sort of a situation where you make them for one version and then you update the version and the extension breaks. What are the changes that have been made around extensions in GNOME Forty?
1: Um. So I know that there's been a lot of work around uh, supporting extension authors better. Um at the community level. So there's we have a channel now where extension authors can hang out and they can talk to the shell developers and get help with their problems and there's been work put into having more active um, review of extensions on the 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 website. So I think that's that's Definitely a, a positive move and something that users will benefit from. They'll hopefully see stability improvements and so on. Um, so, the extension story has got better in that regard. I mean, extensions are, are tricky by nature, they have almost unlimited power. So, you can, you know, you're basically kind of patching at the shell. You can you can change anything. Problem is that you know there is no, there's no API there, so there's no stability guarantees. There's no way to tell whether something will break from release to release. So it's you know it's that um, it's a double-edged sword really. It's one of the things that the thing that makes people like extensions is also the thing that makes them somewhat fragile. Um, but you know the answer that people seem to have settled on for the moment is that um, you know active an active upstream community with better support and testing and so on is is the best way forward for that rather than you know trying to re-architecture it so that uh, there was some kind of stable API with a more limited set of functionality. Uh, but, um, which I I think will be a lot of work and would probably not satisfy a lot of people.
0: Awesome. Are there any other things, GNOME-related, Fedora related you want to touch on before we wrap up here?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're all busy at the moment wrapping up the GNOME 41 release upstream and downstream on the workstation side. We're looking towards branching and... Uh, wrapping up the release on that side, so um, it's kind of an exciting time at the moment. You know, We're seeing things come together for the next release and it's always a, a busy time in the cycle, but you know it's one of the times in the cycle that I like the most, like polishing stuff up and getting features in good shape. So you know um, I think there's plenty of good stuff coming in, uh, Fedora 35 and Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited about everything that's coming down the pipe.
0: That's awesome. Maybe we can have you back on the podcast when all that happens.
1: Yeah, I'd be really happy to. Um, I'm always happy to talk about what's coming up.
0: Thank you, Alan, so much for coming and talking to me about Gnome 40. There were a lot of roadblocks in the way to getting to this, many of them on my part, but in the end, we got together and got this recorded, and it went really well. So, thank you. Thanks
1: a lot. It's been great talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening. That was Season 2, Episode 7 of The Fedora Podcast. Please visit podcast.fedoraproject.org to find our chat room, send us email, listen to other episodes, and more. I'm your host Grayson, and Tricknology made our music. Please subscribe, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.